Well, of course, today we uh, celebrate uh, the Lord's Supper, which uh, we do here at Edgewood once a month, and these are always very, very intimate, very, very special uh, services in the life of our church. And I hope as you came in, you picked up a copy of the uh, sermon notes, actually more like a communion devotional, and uh, notice the title, Live in Harmony in the Lord. Now, I hope that those words sound familiar to you, uh, because last week in our study of the book of Philippians, uh, we looked at Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, and those words are taken right from that text. Uh, Verse 2, which is the primary exhortation in those first three verses, Uh, you remember the uh, Philippian church was not only suffering uh, persecution uh, from the Roman Empire, Uh, They were not only struggling with false teachers who were trying to infiltrate the church, but they were struggling with internal conflict. Uh, There was division within the church. It centered around uh, two of the prominent women within the church, and apparently folks were taking sides, and this internal conflict uh, threatened uh, to divide the church, and uh, Paul took this very seriously. He knew that division would render the church ineffective. He knew that division... Uh, would uh, uh, render them with a testimony that would not be credible. And uh, his entire passion was what? For the gospel to be advanced. And he knew for the gospel to be advanced uh, that the church had to live credible lives. We had to live out the authenticity of our Christianity uh, in our relationships uh, with one another. And last week, uh, we had just three main points. And you'll see those three main points on your sermon notes uh, today. Notice, I am obligated to receive and love my brother or sister, the one God has already uh, received and loved as his son or daughter. Uh, The second point that we looked at last week uh, on that backside, when a believer refuses to heal a breach between another believer, the error of the division is greater than the issue that caused the breach because the division is an assault on the body of Christ. And then the third truth that we looked at last week was more important than winning the argument or holding on to a grudge is maintaining a Christ-like attitude toward one another. And what I'd like to do this morning is to take those same three points and just amplify just a little bit, uh, share some additional Scripture references. Uh, All of these would be new. None of these were shared last week just to reinforce that truth. So look look at that first truth. I, as a believer, I am obligated to receive and love as my brother or sister, of the one God has already received and loved as his son or daughter. Uh, look at that scripture reference, John 13. Let me give you a little background before we read those verses. Uh, this is when Jesus uh, met with his disciples uh, to observe the Passover prior to his death. And it was in that Passover meal that Jesus instituted what we're celebrating this morning, uh, the Lord's uh, Supper. Uh, You remember uh, on Passover, they would uh, slay uh, a lamb, and then the blood of that lamb would be sprinkled on the altar there in the temple. And uh, matter of fact, we're told that in uh, the days of Christ, that there would have been over 250,000 Passover lambs slain on Passover. And, uh, and those lambs were slain in a two-hour period of time, from three in the afternoon 
to 5. We're told that the blood was so great that it would literally flow into the brook uh, Kidron, which ran just east of the temple, and that that uh, brook would remain crimson red for days uh, after those uh, Passover lambs had been slain. And, of course, that had been done year after year after year, uh, going all the way back to uh, the deliverance uh, from Egypt uh, in the book of Exodus. And, of course, we know, uh, did uh, did the blood of those lambs have the power to remove the stain of guilt and cleanse the heart of a sinner? No. Uh, Those lambs were pictures. They were helping them look forward to the Lamb of God who would come, Jesus, and take away what? The sins of the world. And uh, keep in mind, uh, they were saved by faith just like we're saved by faith. Uh, They embraced the promise of that coming Lamb of God as they celebrated Passover. Uh, That's where they placed their faith in what God was going to do, the promise He had given. Where we have the wonderful opportunity, what? To look back uh, to that finished work and what Christ accomplished when he died on our place on the cross for the penalty of our sin and rose again to offer forgiveness and new life to all who will put their trust in him. But it was at that same supper that you had the occasion when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And I think uh, most of you are somewhat familiar with the fact that uh, what precipitated this was the disciples began to argue among themselves. And what were they arguing about? Who remembers? Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? And who should have the most uh, prominent spot uh, next to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? So as Jesus is observing his men arguing, uh, just expressing the epitome of their selfishness and the arrogance, he didn't say a word. He just rose from the table. And you remember the Bible says he disrobed himself, took off his robe, and he picked up a what? A towel. And girded himself, clothed himself with that towel, and took a basin of water, and he began to what? Wash the disciples' feet. Which was the lowest, most menial task that a person could assume, could do, that was reserved for the lowest of servants. And after he had washed their feet, this is what he told them. Look with me now. John 13, verses 12 through 15. Jesus said, do you know what I've done to you? Do you know? Do you understand? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash what? one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do to do to one another as I what did to you. And so the lesson is very obvious. To love one another is to do for others what Jesus did for me. And what I've done there for you in your sermon notes, I've just gone through the one another passages in the New Testament that instruct us on how we are to relate to one another within the body of Christ. Now, this also has uh, uh, application beyond the body of Christ. This is, can be beautifully applied to the relationship of a husband and wife in marriage, or 
the relationship between parents and their children. It can be applied in so many areas, but of course we're focusing right now on the church family and the importance for us to know harmony and to do for one another what Jesus did for us. So just look at these very, very quickly. Notice from the book of Romans, uh, chapter 12, verse 10, be devoted to one another. That word devoted is a fascinating word in the Greek text. It's a compound word where Paul took two of the Greek words that uh, refer to love and he put them together. The word philio, which means brotherly love, and storge, which means family love. And he says, you're to be devoted to one another. You're to be committed to one another. You're to be loyal to one another as family, because you are family, because you all have a what? Common father, and you have a common Lord in the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, you are brothers and sisters because you're my children. And I want you to be devoted to one another. Also in that same verse, we're to give what? Preference to one another. What does it mean to give preference to one another? To put in very simple terms, what? You're to put others what? First. You're to put others before yourself. Didn't we see that in Philippians chapter 2 verse 4? Where it says, hey, don't, don't look out for your own personal interest. No, don't make that the goal of your life. Don't make that the focus of your life. Make the goal of your life what? The interest and the needs of others. Let that be your focus. That's how you're to live as believers in following your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Look at 12, 16. Be of the same mind toward one another. We talked about this briefly last week. This doesn't mean that we're always going to always think the same way or necessarily have the same convictions and beliefs in every single area. There's going to be differences within the body of Christ. But in the midst of those differences, we need to know a love that's greater. In the midst of that diversity, we need to maintain unity. So when he says, be of the same mind towards one another, he's talking about that mind of love. That that mind that cares for one another, that is devoted to one another, that gives preference to one another, even in the midst of the differences. And then look at uh, chapter 14, verse 13. Let us not what? Judge one another. Verse 19. Pursue the things which make for peace. Building up one another. Circle the word pursue. Let me... uh, observe something that should be meaningful to those of you that have been uh, uh, through this entire Philippians study with us. That word pursue is the same word, the identical same word that's translated several times in Philippians 3 to press on. Remember when he says in Philippians 3, hey, forget what lies behind. And you reach forward looking to Jesus You're to press on to embrace Him, to know Him, to be conformed to His death, to know the fellowship of His sufferings, to know the power of the resurrection. Then verse 14, he says, I press what? On towards the goal of the prize of my high calling in Christ Jesus. He pictures himself a runner with every ounce of his energy and strength pressing towards that finish line. To remain faithful to Christ and to win uh, the crown of life that will be awarded to all of those 
who remain faithful to Jesus. And so in the same way that we are to pursue Jesus with that same energy, with that same enthusiasm and strength, we're to what? Pursue peace in the family of God. Peace with one another. Not to tear down one another, but what? To build up one another. And then look at chapter 15, verse 7. Accept one another. And do you know how the remainder of that verse reads? Anybody? We're to accept one another as what? As Christ accepted you. And let me ask you a question. How did Jesus accept you? At your very worst. While we were yet what? Sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet what? Enemies of the cross. He loved us. He loved you at your worst. And we're to demonstrate that same love towards one another. In other words, an unconditional love. And again, it doesn't mean that we just let people get away with anything and everything. Uh, I've often mentioned there's a tough aspect of love. The key is we're looking out for one another. We're putting one another's interests first. And that doesn't mean I always give somebody everything they want, but I want to give them what they truly need. I want to bring them to Jesus. I want to see them grow in their walk with Jesus. I want to do everything that I can to build that up, those positive elements in their life. And then in verse 14, admonish one another. That word admonish literally means in the Greek text to come along the side of another person for the purpose of either encouragement or to warn them of behaviors or attitudes that could be destructive to their lives, or it could mean to give them advice. Uh, it has the idea of counseling, because we're committed, because we are loyal to one another. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, care for one another. And matter of fact, you know how the first, verse of, first part of that verse reads? It says, let there be no division among you, but instead care for one another. He said, don't let there be factions in the body of Christ. Don't let there be division. Don't let there be disunity. Instead, care for one another. Be tender towards one another, sensitive to one another. Look at Galatians, three passages there. Serve one another. Restore one another. That word restore literally means to mend or to repair. It was often used of setting a bone. And you know in the context, it talks about a brother or a sister who has strayed from Christ. They've fallen into sin. And instead of being critical on them, instead of dumping on them, instead of ostracizing them, we're to what? We're to move toward them for the purpose of restoration, for the purpose of mending, for the purpose of relocating, uh, bringing the bone back into to health and into the body of Christ. And then to bear one another's burdens. And that word burden means a heavy load that's difficult to carry. Do you ever have a heavy load that's difficult to carry? It's called adversity in life, trials. Well, don't ever forget, you're not alone. Everybody in this sanctuary deals with burdens, deals with adversity. So instead of getting just so, you know, wrapped up in your own self, begin to look to others to help them share their burdens. And as you help them share their burdens, you'll find them helping you what? Share your burdens, and you'll find that mutual encouragement. Look at uh, the book of Ephesians. Show patience to one another. Be kind to one another. Be subject to one another. 
Look at the book of Philippians, uh, that beautiful verse uh, 3 in chapter 2. We're to regard one another more important than yourself. And I love that verse because, and let me point it out again. He uses two military terms in that phrase to express the heart of true love and serving one another in the body of Christ. The word regard, if you were to literally translate it, would be to let lead or to let command. And the word important, if you were to literally translate it, would be your superior or your commander. And Paul's saying that's the attitude you're to have towards one another. You're to let lead in your thoughts as you relate to one another. You're to let lead in your attitudes towards one another that others are your superior. Therefore, you exist to what? To serve. Not to be served, but to serve. Even as Jesus said what? I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve and give my life a ransom for many. Look at the book of Colossians. Do not lie to one another. Bear with one another. That has the idea of in difficult times when it is hard. Uh, forgive one another. Teach and admonish one another. The book of 1 Thessalonians, increase and abound in love for one another. Comfort one another in times of grief and sorrow. Uh, live in peace with one another. Look at the book of Hebrews. Encourage one another. Stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Look at the book of James. Do not slander one another. That word slander literally means to speak against. And matter, matter of fact, the word, the word, literally, literally, the word means to groan or to sigh. Like, Ugh. you ever done that with somebody, your wife or your husband? <clears throat> you know. And, and what, it's, what it's referring to is a critical spirit that leads to critical words. Where instead of building up, we're on the attack to tear down. And what James is saying is, don't do that. Don't use harmful words to tear down. You know, focus on helpful words that will build up. And yes, sometimes that means you have to correct, you have to reprove, you have to challenge. But the motive should always be never to tear down, but to build up, to restore, to bring harmony and unity. Look at, uh, do not complain against one another. Same thing. Pray for one another. First Peter, offer hospitality uh, to one another. And there are so many ways we can do that. Just in uh, opening up our homes and our material goods. Uh, uh, this church has been such a wonderful example of this over the years. You know, I think of our bereavement committee in times of death and how they reach out to those grieving families to provide uh, meals and food. And not just a meal, not just the food, but to provide love, uh, to provide a, a loving touch. I think of when ladies have babies here in the church, how the other ladies come together and they develop a, a system and a format where that new mama is a uh, provided meals over a, a period of time just to help her through that initial training. And I could just go, I could give exam, example after example uh, in this church family. But again, we can never become satisfied. We want to abound even more in those qualities. Uh, and then notice he says, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Now, now think with me. Now this is just my conviction. Peter wrote this book. And when Peter said, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, you know what I think Peter was thinking about? What we just read a moment ago. When Jesus was, 
wash disciples' feet. I think, I think that's the picture he's got in his mind when he says, clothe yourselves with humility. Just like Jesus clothed himself with that towel, taking that basin of water and took the lowliest position to serve us, his disciples, our Lord, our teacher serving us, he says, that's, that's how we're to live. That's how we're to relate to one another. And then 1 John fellowship with one another. And folks, I hope that word fellowship has a lot more meaning now for you than it did prior to us getting into our Philippians study. Because what have we seen in the book of Philippians? Fellowship has much, it means much more than just getting together for a meal or, or, or just even to enhance our relationships with one another. In the New Testament, fellowship always had the concept of coming together for a common task for a common purpose. And what you see in the New Testament, fellowship literally evolves around advancing the gospel. That's what brought tremendous unity and harmony to the body of Christ. Yes, there would be differences, and yes, there was diversity, but the thing that united them was that common task to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ, to exalt our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And it was in that common task that they, they, they came together. Again, I, I, you know, I, I think I alluded to it last week. It, it, you know, the analogy of soldiers out in the battlefield is just a wonderful one. I mean, you know, when you, when you look at a, a team of soldiers or a platoon or whatever, it, it's such a diverse group. I mean, in so many ways. I mean, racially, culturally, the way they think, they act. But what unites them? The mission. The mission. And accomplishing that mission. All being focused and having that single purpose. And that's the way it should be within the body of Christ. One of the reasons there's so much disharmony in the body of Christ, we've ceased to be on the offensive. We've just closed up behind the four walls of the local church and we're in retreat. And we need to realize we have a task that's been given to us by our Savior. And we're to advance the gospel, and it's advancing the gospel that we find unity and harmony. By the way, you might want to just notice, there's 30 of those. Enough for one month. It'd be a good little assignment to take the next 30 days, and just each day you pick one, you know, you just go through the list, and you're going to put that, that one area in practice that day. Wouldn't that be a good little thing to do? And then after you do that for 30 days, do it for another 30 days. And then just begin living that way uh, day in, day out. Look at the second point. It says, when a believer refuses to heal a breach between another believer, the error of the division is greater than the issue that caused the breach because the division is an assault on the body of Christ. Folks, what's behind all division in reality when you just peel it all back? Look at James 4. Where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? He's talking about interpersonal relationships in the body of Christ. He says, do you think they just happen? Think again. They come about because you want your own way and fight for it deep inside yourselves. What do we call that? What do we call that? Selfishness. That's why we we clash. That's why divisions happen. Because we do want our own way. We are selfish. We all struggle with that. And we're in the process of being changed more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And that's why we need to see the differences, the diversity 
Those are not obstacles. Those are the very opportunities God's given us to learn unity, to learn harmony, to learn a love that's greater than, than all of that. And then if we, but if we allow that selfishness to rule, where we're constantly fighting, bickering, trying to win the day, where's it going to lead to? Look at the next verse, Galatians 5. But if you bite and devour one another, take care lest you be what? Consumed by one another. And folks, that happens. Happens in marriages, happens in families, and it happens in church families. Well, you just consume one another, and before you realize it, all's lost. And then look at the beautiful passage, Ephesians 2. This is the positive side. This is what Jesus did for us that we celebrate today that brings our unity. He says, Ephesians 2, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. How? He united Jews and Gentiles, two groups who hated one another, into one people. When in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together, I love that word, together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross And our hostility towards each other has been put to what? Death. See, there's not just the vertical aspect of the cross where we become reconciled to God through the work of Christ, but there's a horizontal aspect. And Christ's death put to death the hostility we have towards one another. It tore down the walls to reconcile, to bring us together. And notice, this is emphasized in the celebration of the Lord's Supper. Look at 1 Corinthians 10. When we bless the cup at the Lord's table, aren't we sharing in the blood of Christ? Notice, aren't we sharing together, sharing in the blood of Christ? And when we break the bread, aren't we sharing in the body of Christ? And though we are many, we all eat from what? One loaf of bread, that is what Jesus Showing that we are what? One body. And we're one body because we have one Lord. And we all find nourishment in His presence as we come together to celebrate His death, burial, and resurrection. And notice how seriously Paul took this in the Scripture. Look at that passage from 1 Corinthians 12. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment to themselves. You know what that's saying? You know, often when we talk about coming to the Lord's Supper, we need to examine ourselves to make sure there's nothing between us and God. And that's very, very true. You should never observe the Lord's Supper without pausing briefly for just a time of example. Lord, is there anything between me and you that I need to make right? But you need to ask a second question. Lord, is there anything between me and another person that I need to acknowledge and commit to make right? Because what he's saying here is, if you come to the Lord's table, And in the context of the book of Corinthians, you know, they were struggling with factions and divisions, struggling with selfishness. They were fighting one another. He says, if you come together and that kind of stuff is going on, he says, you're not not discerning the body of Christ. You're not discerning what all of this is about. There's not, again, just the vertical aspect. There's the horizontal aspect. This should impact the way you live with one another. 
And he says, if you don't recognize that and you continue in these factions, it's selfishness. He says, notice, he says, you're going to drink judgment to yourselves. And what does the next verse say? Because of this, many of you are sickly and weak and have even died. And he's... And the specific application would be to division within the church. Factions, not loving, caring for one another. And then look at that third truth as we end. More important than winning the argument or holding on to a grudge is maintaining what? A Christ-like attitude towards one another. Amen? See, the issue is not the only important thing. As important as the issue is maintaining a Christ-like spirit in the midst of the issue. And this is one of the greatest lessons to learn true one of the hardest lessons to learn in marriage and in any realm of life in other words how to disagree without becoming what disagreeable how to maintain a loving attitude in in the midst of the difference in friction and look at the beautiful passage in Colossians chapter 3 and so as those who have been chosen of God holy and beloved put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, What a joy to come to the Lord's table now to celebrate your death, burial, and resurrection. To remember what you did for us on Calvary's cross when you died for the penalty of our sin. And thank you, Lord, when we come to this table, we're not just looking back to your past finished work, but you are here. You are present. You are the host of this table. And we now have the opportunity to find our nourishment in our relationship with Christ. To feed on you. To feed on your grace. To feed on the riches of your power. And then Lord, we've seen today that all of this not only has application to our vertical relationship with you, but also with our horizontal relationship with one another. So Lord, look into our hearts right now. Look into my heart. And Lord, I I trust we all unite our hearts right now and we simply ask, Lord, is there anything between me and you that I need to acknowledge, confess, forsake, to be able to partake of this table with blamelessness and integrity? Lord, is there anything between me and another person? that I need to attempt to make right as far as it's possible with me at my earliest opportunity. So Lord, as we partake now, I trust we do with so with clean hands, with clean hearts, not on the basis of our righteousness or efforts, but the righteousness of Jesus that has been imputed to our account, that has made us clean in your eyes. And then, Lord, give us the grace uh, to walk in that new life 
Give us the grace and the power to follow the example, to follow the pattern of our Savior who disrobed himself and took that towel and that water basin and washed the feet of his disciples. Let us now wash one another's feet as we celebrate your grace. For it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. I want to ask our elders, deacons to take their places. And in just a moment, we'll begin partaking of the Lord's Supper. And, uh, and if you're visiting, uh, very, very simple. You'll, you'll be able to catch on. Our folks, uh, we have men that serve each of the different sec- sections of pews. And you'll just leave down the same side and come back uh, the other side. And uh, you'll get your bread and the juice here and just partake of it right here. And then go back to your to your place, and I just trust that this will be a very uh, holy time, a very, very special time, and I pray you'll just uh, take the opportunity now to reflect on uh, your relationship with Christ, reflect on what Christ did for you and rejoice in that, but then trust Him to give you the grace uh, also to live His life out, and especially in relationship uh, with one another uh, within the body of Christ. It's our... uh, tradition here at Edgewood when we come out of the Lord's Supper service that we provide the church family an opportunity uh, to minister uh, to one another. We think that this is as an important aspect of the Lord's Supper as any other uh, aspect. And in so in just a moment, I will give you the freedom to actually stand up and move about and to uh, go to one another, to express appreciation, to express encouragement, to uh, pray a prayer, uh, just to uh, let one another you know that you do love one another and you do, and you do care. And so this is a time when you, you look around. Uh, we're so thankful to have Jeremy with us. I don't know if you know Jeremy Williams was in uh, ICU earlier uh, this week with uh, touch of pneumonia, which of course would be very serious for uh, Jeremy. So Jeremy, great to see you here uh, today. Uh, See Heather and uh, Todd and their family, uh, they'll be uh, going to Germany very soon as uh, as missionaries uh, there. I see some of our soldiers who are back from a recent uh, deployments. There are those here that are struggling with various illnesses or adversity or various uh, trials may just be someone you want to thank that's meant a lot to you that's been an example or maybe a teacher or it could be just just whatever God lays on your heart but this is a time to practice those one and others that we uh, uh, talked about uh, and uh, uh, I would ask no one to, to leave until we conclude the service we'll, we won't linger we'll just allow about a few minutes for this and then I'll dismiss the service in just a few minutes. I will remain right here. This will also serve as the invitation. If there's anyone that has a decision of any nature, profession of faith, or uniting with the church, I'll remain here to receive you. But right now, I'll give you the freedom as a church family to move about, uh, to love one another. You may want to just remain seated and continue to reflect and praise God for His grace in His death, burial, and resurrection. But uh, you feel free now to move about and show love to one another. Amen. Amen. Let me just remain right where you are. You don't even have to be seated. Uh, but give me your attention just, just a moment. Give me everybody's attention just a moment. But again, uh, thank you for uh, being here today. You know, I had, uh, it was interesting, during that invitation time or during this ministering time, 
I had several that came up to me, uh, parents struggling with adult children, and uh, all of them asking for prayer. So uh, I would ask you to uh, join in prayer for uh, those families within our church that are struggling with adult children that are having uh, various difficulties. I also, I got a kick, I mentioned Jeremy Williams. Uh, I did not know this. He, he was in the hospital. He got out. I knew he was speaking at a men's conference. You know, he uses his uh, computer and he builds his talk. And then they hit a button and it spits it out. There were 300 men at this conference. 27 came to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And uh, so we, we love Jeremy. And it's just amazing to see how God has uh, used him uh, using the backdrop of this adversity to so just uh, provide so many opportunities to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. So again, trust you'll be back tonight, youth ministry, Alan Adams right here at 6 o'clock. We have all the nursery children's coverage that you'll need. Also, ladies, there is a new women's Bible study that starts this Wednesday at 6.30. Uh, Karen uh, Burns leads that. She's right there. And they're going to be a great study. They're going to be studying the book that C.S. Lewis wrote, Mere Christianity. And that's on Wednesday nights at 6.30. I believe the men, uh, I think they're studying, isn't it the Gospel of Mark? I think the Gospel of Mark, yes, yes, the Gospel of Mark on Wednesday, Wednesday nights. And uh, as we get into the fall, we'll be sharing with you about more Bible study opportunities that will be made available. So God bless you, and uh, you're dismissed, and trust you'll know God's blessing.